0: You're listening to audio from Christ Community Church in Fishers, Indiana. Our mission is to develop disciples of Jesus to impact the world. If you'd like to find out more information about us or donate to our ministry, please visit us at our website at cccfishers.org. Thanks for joining us. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Acts chapter 3, starting at verse 11. While the man, remember this is the lame man who was a beggar, while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, the crowds, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one. You holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith, in the name of Jesus, this man whom whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out. At times of, be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed to you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent them first to you and to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Last week, Sarah and I watched a mini-series entitled How They See Us. It's a series on Netflix that tells the story of the Central Park Five. If you don't know, the Central Park Five are five teenage African-American and Latino boys who were arrested in 1989 in regards to a sexual assault of a young woman who was jogging through Central Park. Now, there was little evidence and little motive connecting these five young teenagers to the crime, and yet all five of them were convicted of the crime, and they served anywhere from six to 12 years for it. Then in 2002, a man who was already in prison, connected to a number of other sexual assaults of other women, confessed to the crime of that woman who was jogging in Central Park. He confessed to the crime, Uh, DNA... Evidence connected him to the crime, uh, basically saying there was a, like he was there. In the case of one in six billion people, could have also shared that DNA. So like it came down, it was him. And then all five of those who had been arrested in 1989 were exonerated from their crime, or from the crime they were accused of. And when you're watching the show, there's a whole host of emotions that come up, and there's a whole bunch of things that you're forced to think about. You're forced to think about race and the justice system and policing and, and all the different things that are going on at that moment. But maybe at the most fundamental level, what you begin to think about or what's impressed upon you is the indignity of being accused of something that you didn't do. And we recognize as human beings early on in life that there's... That, that, that to be accused of something you are not responsible for is an injustice. I mean, by age five or earlier, young children display an incredible amount of indignation when they are accused of something that they, didn't think, they don't think that they did, right? I didn't make a mess in the basement. They, did, they didn't give, they didn't, I didn't take the marker from them, they gave it to me. I didn't hurt them, I didn't push them, they fell down. Right, Nobody wants to get in trouble, and even more than that, we loathe the possibility of being accused of something that we did not do. I think this is, this is true of all human beings, which makes Peter's preaching style a bit questionable here at the beginning of Acts. After Peter and John encounter the man who is lame and is begging at the gate called the beautiful, they heal him. They go into the temple, which when you think about it, is, pro- is, is, is just a profound thought because this man was barred from going into the temple because he was lame, because he was unable to walk, because he maybe had some misshapen extremities, he could not go into the temple unless he'd been desecrated. But now he's going in, and he's going in with Peter and John, and they go into the temple to worship but as they go into the temple, all the people begin to recognize, hey, that's the guy. That's the lame guy who's at the, at the beautiful gate. That's the guy that's there every single day asking for money. But now he's, he's walking. And so they rush over to Peter and John and they begin to inquire, like, how did this happen? It's the same question that's in chapter 2. After the, the Holy Spirit descends and the, the disciples are speaking in tongues and the people ask, what does this mean? It's the same intent. We're seeing something utterly incredible with our eyes. Can you explain it to us? Can you help us make sense of this? Because this doesn't fit into our worldview. This doesn't fit into our understanding of how things work. What has happened? And so Peter begins to preach for the second time. His sermon in a public space is coming from the questions that people are asking about what's happening and what God is doing. And Peter says to the people, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob is at work through God's servant, Jesus Christ. People will probably start to murmur among themselves, like, that is incredible, that Jesus. I've heard of that Jesus. I've heard of what he's doing. That is absolutely amazing. And Peter goes on and he says, Jesus, you know, the one that you delivered, the one that you denied in the presence of Pilate. Ho, 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 Peter. Uh, wait, I, I wasn't there. I wasn't even in town that day. Jesus, the holy and righteous one, who you not only denied, but you chose a murderer over. Oh, Peter, stop, stop. That wasn't me. The author of life, who you killed. Now, hold on, Peter. I had no part in that. I mean, You can hear the indignation, or you can maybe feel the indignation that the crowds might have felt at what Peter is saying here. And this isn't the first time that Peter's used this kind of language. In Acts chapter 2, verse 23, uh, in that sermon, Peter says, This Jesus who you crucified and killed at the hands of lawless men. So in the first two sermons in the book of Acts, we have Peter accusing the crowds, the crowds that are before him, the crowds that just happened to be there, accusing the crowds of killing Jesus. People, we know this, people don't like to be accused of something that they didn't do. They don't like having to be, to think about taking responsibility for something that they don't know that, I I don't know that I should take responsibility for that. I I wasn't there. I, I had no part in that. And people like it even less when you begin making broad sweeping allegations across whole people groups. I mean, just try doing that. Talk about a whole people group. Yeah, you begin to feel some resistance. I want to I read for something for you. It's, it's, it's a little lengthy. It's not too bad, but I want to read something for you. To, I want to help you feel what I'm talking about here. It's a, it's a letter to the editor to the, in the magazine, The Christianity Today. It's a letter to the editor that was written in 1971. And as I read this letter, I want you to pay attention to your inner dialogue. I want you to pay attention to that voice that begins to talk back to what it is that you're hearing. I want you to pay attention to your body and see if you can, if you feel resistance coming up in you. So so listen to these words. And, And again, as I read, all I'm asking is pay attention. Pay attention to what's happening inside of you. Dear white person, although we have known each other for centuries, we have not truly known each other. I, the black person, feel I know more about you because I had to. My will to survive forced me to learn about you. I was forced to learn your ways of doing things, forced to accept your concepts and values, and yet denied the right to share them. If I tell you that I have hostility and anger within me, how do you interpret those emotions? Do they make me a savage who will riot and burn your property? It seems to me that our society is presently paying for the many years of wrongs done to the black person. In my rational moments, I can understand that you are a product of your forefathers' teachings and are not entirely to blame for your feelings toward me. But if you or I should pass feelings of racial hatred to our children, we stand condemned before God. Along with my feelings of anger and hostility, there is a strong sense of disappointment. This disappointment is felt most keenly toward those who had taught me of God's love for all mankind. I am still forbidden to attend some of your evangelical colleges and churches and to be your neighbor. I have been referring to myself as the black person, but I still feel I have not been allowed to reach complete adulthood. You have made me doubt my ability to compete with you intellectually, and you keep stunting this area of my life with inferior school systems." I, the black person, suggest that you really get to know yourself, evaluate your life experiences, and see how they may have given you your views of the black person. If that happens, it will enable us to love and to live together and enjoy the blessing God intended us to share. Your fellow human being and future friend, the black person. What happens inside as I read that? Did you maybe feel your body tensing up a little bit? Maybe your back stiffened. Maybe your fists clenched. Maybe there was something that began to boil in your belly. Did you find it increasingly difficult to listen? Maybe, Maybe your inner monologue kicked in and you began to talk back. To say, here we go again. This isn't about me. I wasn't there. I don't think I'm responsible or I don't act in that way. You see, what's difficult for us, I think as human beings, but I think also in the West where individualism runs rampant, is that we struggle with this idea of collective responsibility. It's not its not something we're familiar with and it's not something that we like. In fact, we resist it at, at, at some pretty... In some pretty strong ways but if we're reading the text and we can set aside the the western individual lens we can begin to see that the text the biblical text continues to draw us into this idea of biblical uh, of collective responsibility and peter does this in a couple of different ways in this sermon he begins by drawing the crowds into the memory of israel the god of abraham the god of isaac the god of jacob the god of our forefathers by doing this peter is rooting the people in their story it's it's their story as a people it's collective now what's interesting about that is that god didn't appear or god appeared to abraham not to them and god appeared to jacob or isaac and not to them and god appeared to jacob and not to them But Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their forefathers, and God appeared to them, and when God appeared to them, he established a covenant with them and with their offspring. And so when God appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he was also appearing to those who Peter was talking with, because that's their story. It's their collective history, and Peter's reminding them of that and drawing them in there. Come with me. Come into our history. Let's root ourselves. Jesus' story is in this story, which is our story and you belong to it and I belong to it so let's let's hear it together but just as we have a collective history we also have a collective responsibility and so Peter pulls them into the collective responsibility saying saying listen I know that those crowds acted ignorantly but we all belong to those crowds those crowds that oversaw the execution of Jesus those crowds that decided that they would rather have a murderous, a murderous insurrectionist released over an innocent man. is not just those crowds. It's us. It's all of us. Peter is drawing those in the temple into this, this collective history. And this collective responsibility. Now, I do want to make sure that I say this because I think it's really important. These words of Peter in Acts chapter 2 and in Acts 3 have been used against the Jewish people in anti-Semitic ways for hundreds of years. Accusing the, the Jewish people of being the ones who have killed Jesus and say, here's biblical proof, and if they've killed Jesus, then... They should suffer for it. That is a perversion of Peter's words and intent. And I, and I know that from the text. Because look at what Peter says in chapter or in verse 17 of chapter 3. And now, brothers. Peter isn't talking to the crowds as if he's some sort of outsider coming to condemn them. Peter is talking to the crowds as one of them. He, he's an insider imploring his brothers and his sisters, to see the error of their ways. What Peter is offering here is an in-group critique, which when you offer an in-group critique, a, a critique of your own people, it's, it's driven by a very different motive, right? Because there's the motive of if we're going to critique that group over there, it's very easy to lob bombs. It's very easy to lob bombs at at groups that you don't belong to. It's easy to lob bombs across political aisles. It's easy to, to scoff at different expressions of Christianity or different religions altogether. It's easy to criticize those who live on the coast and not in flyover country. Like, those critiques are easy, and rarely are those critiques offered in love or out of a desire to see an individual change. Rather, we criticize them Because it's easy and in criticizing them, it strengthens our position and it makes us feel better about ourselves. But when you stop and you point out your own flaws, when you critique from within, when you tell those who look like you and think like you and believe like you that maybe, maybe you've got it wrong on a particular issue. Well, that requires a whole lot more courage. And I might even say that that it follows more closely the teachings of Jesus. Jesus tells us to take the plank out of our own eye before we worry about the speck in the eye of the other. And what Peter's doing here is calling out the plank. Especially, especially when, when you consider that he says that this Jesus who you denied. Yeah, so I don't know that. I don't remember. Yeah, I know it says that in some versions. This is Jesus who you denied. And Peter's not just pointing out the plank in others' eyes, he's pointing out the speck in his own eyes because Jesus, or Peter is one who denied Jesus as well. Peter's been there. And he can say to the people, Me too. I'm not sure he could argue that his denial wasn't like the crowds or that his denial didn't lead directly to the killing of Jesus, but that misses the point. The point that Peter is trying to make is they all deny Jesus. The point that Peter was trying to make is we all deny Jesus. The words that Peter spoke to the crowds in the temple are not just to those people who were there at that particular moment in time, But they're to us, they're to you and to me. In using these words, Peter is pulling us into the story, into the collective denial of God among us that we all participate in. Peter is naming a reality for all peoples and all rulers. We all are often ignorant of our sins. We all are often complicit in allowing injustices to continue around us. We all are often justify our actions against others by by appealing to our sense of piety or moral indignation. And in the end, all that does is it resists God's invitation to, to salvation and wholeness and right relationship. We need to be honest About the ways in which we share in the collective sins of the world. We need to be honest and admit our own denials of Jesus. And the point of of that is not to just make us feel guilty. Right. The point of the point of acknowledging our collective sin isn't just to make us feel guilty. It's not God's intent is not to leave us in shame. And God's intent is never for us to see our sin and then force us to, us to wallow in it a little bit. Rather, the idea is that by seeing our sin in our actions, beyond just our individuals, but how we as human beings participate in these systems and these structures, how the whole, like, how all of sin has or sin has affected all things in the world. The point of seeing this is that is that by seeing how great our sin is, we also see how great the grace of Jesus is. By drawing us in to the collective story of humanity's denial of Jesus and humanity's sin, we are being drawn into the story of God who redeems the world through Jesus your story and my story and our story finds its meaning and its fulfillment in Jesus. And then, and then we can continue to be, we can be the witnesses that God has called us to be by Faithfully acknowledging all that God has done and all that God is doing and all that God will do in our lives and in the world. And what makes our witness beautiful is not the denial of our participation in different things. What makes our witness beautiful and compelling is when we tell the truth about what it is that God has saved us from and what it is that God is saving us from from and being as explicit as possible about that it's not beautiful or compelling when you say yeah god saved me from my sins what is your sins well you know those bad things i do or those times that i don't do the things that i should do i mean there's there's some good in that but it's it's more beautiful it's more compelling when we say god saved me from the need of having to prove myself over and over and over again To say that God saved me from my arrogance and my impulse to think of myself more highly than I should. It's beautiful to say that God is saving me from being ignorant of the pain of other people's experiences. God is saving me from being blind to the ways in which I have been complicit with marginalization and the oppression of others in the world. God is saving me from thinking that I don't have a responsibility of the injustices that I see around me just because I'm not directly involved in that. Naming those things isn't about shame and it's not about making us feel more guilty. It's about glorifying the one who takes away the sins of the world. It's about saying, listen, we often aren't aware of all that we do that is wrong. We aren't aware of the full grasp that sin has on this world. We aren't aware. Like, we are often ignorant of the depravity of the systems and the structures and individuals and people and the whole thing. We are often ignorant of that. And yet, in our ignorance, Christ died for us. How beautiful. How wonderful how amazing is this one who would lay down his life for this mass of humanity that would deny him. We get to be witnesses to that. And our witness rises up out of of the ways in which we have participated in the sin of the world. And when we recognize this, when we recognize that it's that talking about like collective sin isn't about making certain people feel guilty and freeing up other people, but it's about glorifying Jesus when we recognize it, that suddenly we're free to have conversations that before we could never have. Rightly understood, the, God, the, the gospel frees us up to talk about things and to wonder about things and to ask questions and to listen to others' perspectives that otherwise might have filled us with guilt, that might have made us feel shamed, that might have f- made us feel like somebody was trying to make us responsible for something that we wouldn't. But now, now it doesn't matter. Now it doesn't matter if I look bad. Now it doesn't matter if I realize that, yes, I do have some guilt. If my eyes are open and the scales fall off, it doesn't matter Because it's not about me looking good and it's not about me preserving my reputation because it's about the reputation of Jesus. And so, yeah, I'll I'll enter into the hard conversations. I'll listen to the experience of another. I'll consider the possibility that maybe there are things in my life that I've participated in or I've been complicit in just by being quiet and not saying anything. Because I recognize that my hope is ultimately found when your story and my story is weaved together into our story and then our story gets caught up into the story of the Holy and the Righteous One who is the author of life that the prophets foretold about who has come save us all. This is who Jesus is. This is who we get to proclaim. This is who we get to give witness to. God sent him into the world so that God might bless us as we turn from our sin. So let us be a people who confess freely. Confess what we've done. As individuals and collectively. So that Christ might be glorified. Let's pray. Father facing our sin can often be a difficult proposition. We want to appear better than we than maybe we know we are. We we want to put on our Sunday best for people. And we do resist being accused of something that we did not do. Yet we must admit that all of us are sinners. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. All of us participate in a world in which every aspect of our lives, our individual lives, our relationships, and yes, our systems and structures have all been tainted by sin. And we need the grace of Jesus to come and to bring healing and redemption and hope to the broken places. So may we give witness to the possibility of Jesus' redemption as we confess, as we confess what it is that we have done, what it is that we've been a part of, As we experience the grace of Jesus, may we give witness to it so that others might have hope as well. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.